When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to the New Books Network. And Mel has Karen with the other names. Hi, Karen. Hi. Actually, I have Karen Plus, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. It's so great to have you on the show. I've been following you on Facebook in a good way. <laughs> and um, you do so many things. Yeah. Um, so, but if, 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 you, if you were to be introduced doing one thing, what would that be? Oh, boy. I really, really, really always wanted to write books. So I think that's the number one thing. The ventriloquist thing happens sort of by accident. Okay. And uh, you've also written humor for adults? I, I have. So I wrote my first humor book was Remote Controls Are Better Than Women Because. Okay. And I wrote, it's because I had this 45-hour commute to and from work on, as New Jersey people would know, on Route 287, which is... A 45-hour commute? No, 45 minutes. I like the idea of the 45-hour commute. <laughs> so um, I used to, when you're sitting in traffic for 45 minutes, and that was, that was the quick day, if it was raining, it was, like, it was like an hour. If it was snowing, sometimes it was three and a half hours. So I had a lot of time in my car. So I used to just, I'll show you, I used to write on sticky notes. I wrote this whole, I wrote this whole book on sticky notes to and from work. Karen, doesn't it bother the police? Like everybody's driving the car and like you are writing your sticky notes instead of driving. They don't even notice because the traffic's so bad. So I, I, I write them on sticky notes and I fling them around my car. Yeah, the traffic is bad because of people like you. It's well, that, that could be. That You're could writing be a bloody true. book. That's true. I mean, how many? I actually had. Let's see. So in this book, um, there's, there's, it, the format is one cartoon on a page, and then three more quotes. So I had, and this is a how many page book? Let's see how many quotes I had to send. Um, it's seventy-five pages times about three quotes. So that's a lot. And so I had it. So he said to me, well, I actually handed in the manuscript and I got a call back then. He used to get phone calls. Um, and he said, 
I see that you only have 100 quotes. We need, you know, whatever 75 is times three. I'm not very good at math. Um, he said, do you have those? And I said, sure. And so the next day to and from work, I had to, I had to write two more, 200 more, basically. You didn't have to go to work. You just get stuck on Route 28 the whole day and just write. You know? <laughs> it's 287. But um, I, I, I'm, I'm shortening everything today, Karen. Otherwise, you're shortening everything. Show, right? So that you know, so um, that was actually a really big hit. I was on the Ricky Lake show for that book um, back in the 19. Oh, Ricky, go Ricky, Ricky, <laughs> Ricky Lake show. Um, back in 1991, I think, or something like that. And then no, 1993. I think. And then, um, and then this book came out because my friends were mad at me. So now telephones are better than women because came out because this was remote controls are better than men because I, these remote controls are better than women because telephones are better than men because. Okay. So you're already, we're getting our genders confused. Uh, <laughs> that's very interesting. That hasn't happened yet in the show. Um, why don't you start at the beginning? Okay. So I know you always make people do that. So in the beginning, and a I lot- I'm not making you, if you only- I know, no. I, I lived in Brooklyn and you always want to know what happened to people when they were five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually, bro growing up in Brooklyn was the best thing in the world. I don't, a lot of people grew up in Brooklyn, a lot of humor, a lot of humorists grew up in Brooklyn, a lot of singers and songwriters, um, a lot of famous people. I think Jerry Seinfeld and- um, Anyway, I was in good company, but in Brooklyn, when, when you used to go to school, you used to walk to school. We didn't have, I don't think we had lunch in kindergarten. You had to go, you had to walk home and then eat lunch at home and then you stayed there. And so I always thought when I was five that when you, actually I was four when I went to kindergarten because I passed some sort of test. But anyway, um, so we would walk to school and we would come home for lunch. And then when I, when I went to first grade, I didn't realize that when I went home for lunch, I had to go back to school and I didn't want to because in kindergarten you got to eat lunch and you stayed home. So it was kind of like a really weird thing for me. My mother kept saying, you have to go back. You have to go back to school. And I didn't want to. Uh, so, and also in, in, um, in Brooklyn, when you came home from school at like whatever it was, two o'clock, there was so many people to play with. We used to play with like, I don't know, 40 kids from the block, 30 kids from the block. Everybody was very close together. We all lived in apartments and literally I could look out my window when I had the chicken pox and see my friend right there. She was literally a, a stone's throw away. So growing up in Brooklyn was great. I don't know if something really bad and traumatic ever happened when I was five. Um, I feel that's my, I feel that most of my characters are five and I'm, I'm wondering psychologically why, but something must've happened when I was five, but I, I can't put my finger on it. Exactly. Maybe you're an exception <laughs> and maybe I have to change my theory because maybe no, no, because when I was, well, I can tell when I was eight, we moved from Brooklyn to New Jersey. And to me, that was my, that was when I really started you know, missing Brooklyn. So um, eight is probably when I had the most traumatic thing happen to me, not five, I would say. Okay, but I have to, maybe I have to amend and uh, revive. <laughs> maybe. Maybe there's people that had such a wonderful time when they were five. 
I don't know. I love being five. Five was great. So either so either you're trying to remedy some terrible thing that happened. Maybe. Or you're trying to live the best year of your life. I don't know. Five was five was amazing. Four was amazing. You know, I when I moved when I was eight, that was that was tough. I had to leave all my friends behind. And I actually even wrote, you know, they say write what you know. Mm-hmm. So you didn't, leave, you didn't leave your Brooklyn accent behind. No, I didn't. This one is about a cat moving to a new house. It's called Bandit, and it's from a cat's point of view. So I, I know that, you know, my sister's a, a social worker, a licensed clinical social worker. And every time I come up with a book, she's like, mm-hmm, I know why you did that one. <laughs> yeah, I have to and I'm that. like, wait, why? Because I don't remember these things. And she's like, well, remember the day that, you know, yada, yada. And I'm like, wow, I totally forgot about that. She's like, well, it's coming out in all your books. So it's interesting. I have have to meet her now and talk about you. Oh, you might have to. So she actually knows why I write everything after I write it. So that's kind of funny. And then you went to high school, I'm assuming. I did go to high school. (laughs) And then you didn't go to the Israeli army. No, I did not. I do have cousins that live in Israel that are currently in the Israeli army and have been in the Israeli army. So, and I've been to Israel. I went to the Nahalal Moshav and um, my cousins in Ramah HaSharon. So it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful country. You're welcome to come visit anytime. (laughs) Yeah. With COVID. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, and and, uh, do you fly with uh, Maria? Uh, Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. <laughs> you have to buy her a ticket? What was that? You have to buy her a ticket? Um, I don't have to buy her a ticket necessarily. She can her like like my my uh what do they call it? What do they call those pets? Um the therapeutic pets that travel with you? <laughs> uh, spouses. Um uh, no. uh, so uh she can be like my therapy dog, I guess she can say. Uh, okay, and so what happened after high school? So uh, what happened after? So after high school, I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to work with puppets. Um, but my mother said that there were no um, what? How did she put it? There were no career paths at that time um, back in the 1980s for being a children's book author or being a ventriloquist. And I, got, I there really wasn't. So she took me to a place called What Color Is Your Parachute? And I took these tests. They were hours long. And it came up with graphic designer, speech therapist, um, forget what, uh, ther- uh, art therapist, and a couple other therapies, actually, which is really interesting. Um, and also design type jo- jobs. And I went to school for, um, I wanted to go to school for occupational therapy, but um, Hartford in Connecticut, it wasn't accredited. So I wound up going to Trenton State. Um, it was called, yeah, it was called Trenton State College at the time. Um, now it's called the College of New Jersey. And um, they had art therapy, which was really fun. I loved art therapy. And, but then I was also in classes with people that were taking advertising. So we were taking, everyone was taking sculpture and photography. We we're all taking it at the same time. Um, and I realized that that was where I really wanted to be, which was marketing. So um, I'm not the best artist. I'm, I'm not, I mean, I don't illustrate my own books and there's a reason for that. But um, I like coming up with slogans and things like that. So I, I sort of graduated with a graphic design 
degree after all really? that. <laughs> but, and, and then, we... but then I interviewed with um, Sesame Street. Um, I didn't get the job, but then I realized I really, really wanted to get back into children's book writing and ventriloquism. And um, they narrowed it down to two people, but I didn't get it. And that's okay. <laughs> I like being called on the Kermit phone. The Kermit phone called me, which was really cool. Uh, and it was just, it was just a whole lot of fun. But so I realized when I was working in graphic design that I really on the side wanted to start getting back into writing. One second, but you didn't tell me when you started throwing your voice. Oh, actually, um, so I started doing that when, let's see. So my sister, who is this, the social worker, um, when she was born, I was five. So when she Here was- it comes. Here it comes. Uh, Here it comes. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So that was a traumatic thing. Okay. Um, so when she was three, I, I started talking for everything for her, her pillows, her dolls, her food, which is probably why she didn't like eating so much. I talked for her eggs. I talked for her blanket. Um, and for the longest time, she actually really did think that everything spoke to her in her room. And, you know, I thought that was kind of cool because I had that magic, you know, where a little kid could look at me and wonder how is this blanket talking or how is this egg talking or I'm a self-taught ventriloquist. So. I mean, well, who's going to teach you? I don't know. So remember, I don't, remember. And the only way to study ventriloquism is from a dummy. Yeah. Well, so remember a long time ago when we had those styrofoam um, things from McDonald's, I don't know, you had McDovitz there for a while in Israel. I don't know if you ever had McDonald's, but. I don't, in, I don't need that Chazerai, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So. Back then, hamburgers came in these styrofoam sort of packages. So I used to take them and make them into puppets because the mouths would open and close. It had like a back, you yeah. know. So I would just decorate with my mother's jewelry, which probably wasn't a good idea. <laughs> I would go into my mother's jewelry box. Don't listen, mom. And I would take her beads. She had these really cool beads on some of her jewelry. And, I, and they made really cool puppet eyes. So I would use the puppet eyes and, you know, I would dress them up and I started making my own puppets until my parents bought me what they called Willy Talk, which was a sort of like a string in the back where the, the mouth moved and you yeah, pulled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then one day, um, Willie had a fever and I put a real thermometer down his throat and he choked on it and he never spoke again. <laughs> so, and I never got another puppet again. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. Until I was older and could buy my own puppet. I thought you made puppets. I, I did. I, that was a, my parents bought me that puppet, but they told me they weren't going to buy me puppets anymore because I ruined Willie talk. Did, did your parents come around eventually to your. Oh yeah. They, yeah. Michigas. Yeah. Because now, because <laughs> now I make money doing that. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I know that um, you sold you sold like a quarter of a million books to Dolly Parton. Yes, I did. How did you do that? Um, so Dolly Parton Foundation, uh, well, Dolly Parton Imaginary Library, um, put on by the Dolly Parton Foundation, buys a certain number of books each year from 
people uh, from authors that are published with Penguin Random House, I think it's called now. Um, so at that time when, hold on, when this book came out, Rooster Can't Cock-A-Doodle-Doo. Um, it's a, I haven't read the book, but the idea is brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so when that book came out, I think one year Dolly Parton, and I didn't know this, which was really, so I'll tell you about that in a second. They bought, I think it was 77,000 one year and um, 88,000 another year. Globally, Rooster Can Cock-A-Doodle-Doo sold 250,000 copies, but that's with the Dolly Parton Imagination Library numbers in there, the 88,000 or something like that in the 77 or whatever the numbers were, um, big numbers. Um, so what they do is they send books to children um, from I think zero to eight, they might do. Um, and I think it's each month a child gets a hard a hardcover book, a hardcover book. Um, and it used to come in a basket, I believe, uh, because actually I, there was a picture in a, in a, that somebody sent me in a newspaper that Rooster Can Cockadoodle Do, they opened it and inside this beautiful basket was my book. And I was so impressed. And I'm sure they put other things in there besides just one book. But um, that was the picture that I got. Now, I didn't know that was happening. And then I got, I got this really big check in the mail. And I was like, what's this big check for? And since I was in um, advertising and printing, I looked on my royalty statement and there were three numbers. There's There was an ISBN number for the hardcover books, which I totally got the ISBN number for the paperback books, which I understood, but there was this third really strange number. And I'm like, what's that number? So instead of calling my editor because I didn't want to look like I didn't know what was going on, I called the, um, uh, not the ship, the, in, the like, ugh, I can't think of the word, the inventory, the distribution house where they would you know, take out the books. And I said, what is this, what is this ISBN number for? And they said, oh, that's exclusively for the Dolly Parton Imagination library copies because they get a discount, you know. That's incredible. So, yeah. so um, you also, you also uh, have uh, supported another theory of mine without what? even knowing. What is it? Which is that the people that come to writing children's books from different disciplines tend to do better. And you have all of these things that you know that interconnect, right? That's the advertising, mm -hmm. um, uh, and your humor for adults. Um, so, so I think that what everybody wants to know—I I just say that I want to know—but everybody wants to know—is how okay. did you break in? Like, how, do, how did I break? Okay, selling all these books, or did you no. just phone a so, or okay, so a dial. There's some story here that's missing somewhere. You're right. Maybe, There's maybe a story Maria. missing. Maybe Maria. Uh, okay, so Maria Maria came later, but I'll I'll explain to you the process. So with it was a lot easier for me to I was always writing children's books. However, it was a lot easier for me to get into adult humor. So this book I sold, it came out of a, a slush pile at Long Street Press. This sold because um, it was a sequel to the other book. One second, a slush pile you, you sent to find an agent or just to... So, no, no. Okay, so a slush... They aren't... Well, they don't really have slush piles anymore. Slu a slush pile a long time ago, like in the 1980s, when I was starting to send things out, 
uh, I started to send things out in like 1988, I think, ish. Um, and what would happen is it would be snail mail. So you would you would you would go to the library or you would go to the bookstore. You would um, take your book, find books that were similar to yours, and send to that publishing company. And I would always open up the book, each book to in the you know in the bookstore um, to see if they thanked their editor. Um, to see if the author thanked their agent, and I would write specifically to that to that um, editor usually, not the agent, because those are hard. So, smart. so um, then I would I would actually submit an actual manuscript in an envelope with a return address, and I would send it away to however many publishing companies I thought would want remote controls are better than women because, or telephones are better than men because, or whatever it is. Um, and because a lot of people don't write. For adults, really, humor, like a, there aren't a lot of humor writers out there. It was a lot easier to break in. So then I had four humor books under as a byline, you know, so people knew I wasn't just, you know, I don't know. They knew I already had experience with submitting and working with editors and stuff like that. So then this book came, If Men Had Babies. Yeah. Um, and that was also taken out of a slush pile. And so was, um, which I don't have up here, um, you really know you're in college when, was also taken out of slush pile. So the slush pile is where all the manuscripts go that everybody wants, um, everybody wants to publish a children's book or a humor book or whatever. All those manuscripts are in piles and piles and piles, or they used to be, on editor's desks or in another room. Um, they don't really have those anymore because everybody sends things by email. Um, there's very few publishers that still um, that have an actual slush pile. Or they, have, uh, they have virtual slush piles. Now, they have virtual slush piles. That's right. But this actually came out of actual slush piles. So then um, one day, uh, I still wanted to write children's books. I just it, It's really hard to break in to children's book writing. I, as you know, it's it's just the most difficult thing because everybody wants to write a children's book. Every grandmother, every mother, every father, just everybody wants to do it. Um, and there are only so many spots. So I started to go to seminars and conferences. And the one conference that I went to that completely changed my life is the Rutgers University Council on Children's Literature. This year it was worth, it was virtual. However, when I went, I think it was in 2000, when I went, what they did was they, it, and it's not based on first come first serve, it's based on writing ability. So you sent back then, um, this year it wasn't based on writing ability. Um, back then you send your manuscript in and actually it was an actual manuscript that you sent in snail mail. <laughs> We're going back a long time. Um, we didn't, I don't think we even had like real computers back then. I think I used to do things on the typewriter back then. Um, and um, so they picked, I think it was 80 people, 80 authors from different, different genres. So I, I'm not sure what the breakdown was, but from you were allowed to send in picture books, middle grade um, and young adult. And you were also um, allowed to submit portfolios if you were an illustrator. And then they pick 80 people to come to the conference. And when I found out later what I didn't know then, they also match you up. You either get an editor, an agent, an illustrator. Uh, well, if you're an illustrator, you get an art director 
or you get a, a renowned illustrator. If you're an author, you get either um, a famous author to help you. Um, you get an editor or an agent and they match you up one-on-one -on -one, and you get 45 minutes to talk to this person. Now, that's how I got in and I'll tell you. So my first book, Food Fright, which is a pop-up book, yay. That was the first book at that conference that I sold and, and Rooster Can't Cockadoodle Do. What happened was it was kind of a weird sort of psychic thing. So I'll tell you the whole story because you'll probably like it because you're into that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a little bit psychic and I can be. People that know me know that I'm a little tiny bit psychic. Um, so I had sent Food Fright, the manuscript, to Price Stir to wait, to dial books for young readers on my own way before the conference. This is way before the conference. Um, I, I send things out all the time. It's just one of those things. Then my friend said to me, hey, there's a conference going on. You should really go. And I said, well, I guess my best manuscript would be Food Fright. So I sent Food Fright. Not, I, so then, okay, so then the night before, so I get into the conference based on Food Fright. And the night before the conference, I, I told my friend, um, Edna, <laughs> Edna Burkhoff. I said, Edna, I'm not going to the conference. She's like, you have to go. She's like, you have to go. Cause she got picked too. She's like, you have to go with me. We're going together. And I'm like, I, I can't go because I just realized what if, what if one of the 80 people, and I didn't know one of the 80 editors or agents or whatever has read food fright already. And now I'm sending the exact same thing. And she's like, Karen, there's 80 people. What are the chances that you are going to get the editor or the agent that you already sent Food Fright to. And I said, one in 80. And she's like, right. She goes, one in 80. You have to go. I'm like, all right, I'll go. But if I said to her, if I open that folder <laughs> and I see that the person that I, the, I mean, what are the chances really? The editor that I get is the same editor that I sent Food I'll just die. And she's, anyway, so she's like, Karen, it's, it's a one in 80 chance. Okay. So we go to the conference. I didn't really forget all about it. Of course, I rushed to the registration desk because I want that folder, you know, because you look on your side and it says Karen Rostocka Groover, then you see who you got. <laughs> so I rushed there and then there's a breakfast first because um, the editors are reading the manuscripts while the, the mentees are eating their breakfast. Because then you have a 45 session one-on-one -on -one with the person and then they talk about your manuscript. Okay, so I'm at breakfast. I have my whatever bagel or whatever, um, which is not like a New York bagel at all. <laughs> I open up my folder. I look at Karen Rostoker Gruber and I look down the side and there it is, Karen Riskin, the, per the very person I sent food fright to three months ago. So I said to Edna, I said, Edna, she's like, she's like you know what? She goes, don't worry about it. What if she likes it? <laughs> now that I haven't thought about. I didn't think about what if she liked it. I was always thinking about the negative. Positive psychology, dear. So I was like, oh, what if she likes it? Then I started freaking out. <laughs> so I was like, oh, what if she likes it? <laughs> ah! So anyway, so now the, the part at the Rutgers conference that really cracks me up is everybody has to walk around with a name tag. And you now have to find after the after the keynotes. Is it the keynotes? No, 
there's like an introduction. So after the introduction of, I guess there's 160 people because it's 80 people plus the other, the matchies, and then, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you have to find your person now. And you have to sit there and just look at everybody's chest to see who your person is. And I was, and I know this because I, I thought it was really funny. I was wearing black pants and a white sweater vest and a sweater vest jacket. And Karen Riskin was wearing, I think she was wearing, she was wearing a, I think she was wearing a, or it was opposite, a black she was wearing like the opposite that I was wearing. And I thought that was really funny. And I found her after like, I don't know, it felt like 20 minutes. And the first thing she, so I, I was totally so scared now because I didn't know which way food fright was going to go. I was petrified. I sat down with her and she said, you know, she goes, I already read food fright. And I was like, I know, I know. And she goes, and I really liked it. And she goes, but I don't do novelty books. So I sent it to my best friend, Kelly Chippenary. I hope that's okay at Price Stern Sloan. And I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, I was trying to put on like a really like, you know, of course it's okay. You know, I'm just like, of course. Yeah. You might, have, you might have asked, you might have phoned and asked first. Yeah. Inside my body, I was really freaking out. I'll forgive you this one time. Yeah. So then I took the only other manuscript that was ready. And that was Rooster Can Cock a Diddle Do. And she loved it. And she took that too. Hey, can you read the first page or two of Rooster Cock a Doodle Do? Oh, okay. Because I know the story, but it's so you. It's all about voices, isn't it? Oh, that's true. Well, you know what? Can I pick a can I pick a different can I pick a part where I can do my voices? I, that's a kind of a rhetorical question, I think. Okay, hold on. I'll pick the best, the best book, the best piece. Karen, I have, I have zero control over my interviewees, you know. Okay, I'm going to pick the best part of my book. Okay, so this is, because I can do the voices. So okay, great. So here, will you please move your hooves? They're right in our eyes. Move the cows. We would if the swine would stop wiggling their tails in our faces. Bob the sheep. Well, Tell the feather brain quartet to quit tickling our snouts. Point the pigs. Oh, who are you calling the feather brain quartet? Pluck the hens. So, <laughs> so this is a rooster I, I, um, who, who, I, I has larin, you... who has laryngitis yeah. and can't wake up the farm. So he goes to the hen house. He goes to the pig pen. He goes to the cow barn. And they all go to Farmer Ted's house because they need to wake him up. Or no one's going to get milk. No one's going to get sheared. The eggs aren't going to get collected. And the pigs aren't going to get their slop. And that's the whole... <laughs> the Aaron, do you, okay, so, so uh, it's such a brilliant idea, you know, that nothing can work on a farm if the, if the rooster has a, has a sore throat. Correct. Uh, do you remember where you got the idea from? So I do. But it was such a strange such a strange day and it had nothing to do with a rooster. So of course not. what? Of course not. Okay. So I went to a lunch at my friend Wendy Peffer's house and there were all these famous editors there because Wendy has written over 85 nonfiction books for children and she knew every editor. Um, so really famous editors were there. Marjorie Kyler was there. She has over 80 books. Um, uh, there were a couple other editors there as well, just trying to think. So I was 
after that lunch where we all brought our own, we all brought food and shared it. Um, oh, Stephanie Owens, Lori was there. She's really famous. So after that, somebody said, when you go on your way home, think of a real problem that needs to be solved. And that's how you get a good picture book. And I was like, all right. So on the way home, I don't know. Always, always when I'm driving, sorry, <laughs> always when I'm driving. Um, on the way home, I was thinking, well, what would happen if a rooster had a sore throat and couldn't wake up the farm and then, or the farmer actually, and then nothing was getting done? Like what would happen? And that was it. I just wrote on my little, that's all I wrote on a sticky pad. And then I went home. I, I wrote a lot of the book that day. Mostly I write at three o'clock in the morning. Um, and then and then I just actually though it wasn't it wasn't a success story at first. I think I rewrote that book for five years. It was, it was um, well because it was a it's a cumulative tale, but I didn't have my humor in it. So my writers group said, "Where's your humor, Karen? Put your humor in it." So I went back into my head, <laughs> and we have a you know. Uh, a lot of Jewish complaining goes on during things that need to be done. <laughs> is this your is this your group of the uh, book Meshuganas? No, actually, this is way before that. The book Meshuganas are new. So this is the pre-book uh, Meshuganas. What was that? The pre-book Meshuganas. Well, this is my critique group, and uh, this is a critique group that I've been with since 1990 or so. Um, it's just the it's the Somerset Writers, and um, so they said, "Where's your humor?" And I didn't understand what they meant until I started really thinking about what would a cow, how annoyed would a cow be if he couldn't get milked in time? And how annoyed would the hens be and the pigs be if they didn't get their slop? And that's how I started to, and then I started with the puns. So, um. But what happens in the end of the story? What was that? What happens in the end? Oh, so at the end of the story, um, well, a farmer gives rooster tea and sits him over in a chair by the pond. So of course his throat, you know, um, is feeling a lot better by the end of the day. So he, he cockadoodle doos and everybody's like, pipe down, cluck the hens. And we're trying to get some sleep. Milk the cows, you know, said the cows, you know, that kind of thing. Um, save it for the morning, that kind of thing. So they were actually, they were glad that he got his, um, cockadoodle do back, but they really were trying to sleep. Um, cause apparently by the time he got his cockadoodle do back, it was, it was bedtime. <laughs> Yeah. Because and maybe that's the reason that I can't find an agent. Because if I wrote that story, uh, the farmer would have uh, cooked him in a soup. <laughs> I, think that I, you right know, I need to learn a few things from you about finishing the story. Uh, oh. let's, uh, I think that we've woken up Maria. Oh, okay. Maybe let's see. Maria Mill wants to say hi. Hey, Maria, did, did we wake you up, dear? Yeah, that's okay. I'm really sorry. I'm such a no noisy interviewer. I wanted to say nosy. I'm that too. I can't, yeah, I can't believe you slept through that whole thing. <laughs> I can sleep through anything. Well, there you anything? go. Anything? Yeah. Like what? What's the worst thing you've, you've slept through? Lightning. Wow. Thunder. Thunder, that happens after lightning, yeah? What, el what else happens over here? Oh, airplanes. That doesn't bother you a bit? Do you, do you get to fly in airplanes? I did. You did. What happened? You didn't. You didn't get sick or anything. No, I keep Karen company. 
Yeah, but did you, did you sit with her on the airplane? Yeah. Did we're, she get nervous? Wait, where'd you go? Fire? Like I me? went to I went to Texas to see Ellen. You did? Yeah. My friend Ellen? Ellen. The writer. Leventhal. Wow. Yeah. And did you have a good time with her? Yeah, she's fun. Well, did she feed, did she feed you? us to the JCC in Houston, Maria and I, right, Maria? Did they feed you chicken soup? No, I ate my plastic donut. Ah, oh, you eat plastic donuts? Yeah, you're good. So, like, so is um, is Karen a vegetarian? No, but she doesn't eat plastic. <laughs> no. So, what are you? Are you a plasticarian or something? Yeah, you could say that. I, I just did. <laughs> and it is my show. So, um, what do you eat other than donuts? Croissants. Croissants, and they're also plastic. Yes, they are. And nothing made out of paper or wood. No, you can eat paper. I can eat paper and clay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me something about Karen that uh, didn't come out in our interview. Tell me some secret. Just between oh, the two of us. A secret? Mm hmm. Oh, don't tell them secrets, Maria. Uh oh. Um, you're you're only five, you know. He doesn't like flying. Just like me. Yeah. So, how do you help make her calm during flying? Um, I talk to her. You talk I to hold her? her hand. I hold her hand. You hold her hand? Yeah. And that relaxes her? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm not a ventriloquist, so. I can't bring you, I mean, I, I have flown with dummies, but, um, uh, sorry. Uh, you can bring a therapy dog. I have something better than a therapy dog. What do you have? It's called gin and tonic. Oh, he drinks. Oh, Aunt Maria, no, no, just a little bit. <laughs> Aaron doesn't drink. She doesn't drink alcohol at all? Does she have any vices that you want to tell us about? Chocolate. She's a chocolate holic. Yeah, I like chocolate. What kind of chocolate does she like? Well, I used to like, what did I used to like? Snickers, but I can't eat them now. Yeah, she can't. Why not? Because they have milk in them. But you know, uh, oh. tell Karen that there's such a thing as a parvid chocolate. Yeah, it. you know what's really good? Those um, jelly rings. Hey, dear, I'm speaking to Maria here, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. She likes jelly rings. Jelly rings don't have any chocolate. Yes, they do. Ah, really? Covered for Passover. Ah, so one second. Do you keep kosher? No. No? So what do you eat that's made out of plastic that isn't kosher? <laughs> plastic? Well, plastic can be... Is plastic kosher? Yeah, sure. Do you, do you, ever, do you ever go to synagogue? I Karen? have. I have. You sit like in the in the woman's part or in the dummy's part? No. Oh. I sit in the kids' part now. Oh. And then <laughs> so you sit in the kids' part with the other kids? Yeah. But you told me that you've been five years old for the past 15 years. Yeah. How so, do you get away with that? I look five. Oh, you look five. But you have like the mind of a 20-year-old. No, I act five. <laughs> Can you tell me some of the things that you do, like that a five-year-old does? Um, 
I take naps. I um learn how to read. Um, I do art projects. You do art projects. Yeah. What What is the What is the most difficult word that you've learned recently? Things with a B. This is This is getting spooky now. <laughs> Things with a B. It's hard. For I, no, no. This is very spooky. What? This is very spooky because I've just written a uh, a manuscript about about two characters. Yeah. Playing a game about who can think of the word with the most bees in it. Really? Mm-hmm. Weird. That's kind of spooky. That is. I, I, I don't believe in, spy, in psychic shit at all, but, you know, it's spooky. I don't yes, know. Maria. The loon! That's hard. The what? The loon. Saying the word balloon. Ah, why is that hard? It's hard for caring. Bees and peas are hard. Ah, bees and peas are hard. <laughs> I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Oh, it's listen. hard for ventri- oh, yeah, No, it's hard for ventriloquists to say bees and yeah, peas. Yeah, I. Yeah. <laughs> you, now you- I got it. It just took me a long. So you know, I guess I'm the dummy after all, right? Ah, uh, so so what would be the hard word? Baboon. That's a lot of bees. Yeah. Um. Actually, um, I will. I will have to send you send you the manuscript. Oh boy. Because you're not going to believe it. Is it filled with bees and peas? <laughs> well, actually, no. So, so these two kids. Oh, just a, bees. They have an argument. They have not. They, they they play a game. She's a word with the big. Just the, just bees. She he said. Yeah, just and bees. And one says uh, babble, and the other says babble, and then the other one says hive. Oh. And the other kid said, "Well, hive doesn't have any bees in it. It's just, there's a million. Just look inside." Oh, that's um, weird. So it, it is very weird. That is weird. That is weird. That is strange. So, uh, Maria, it was great meeting you. You have any parting words until the next time we we get together? You mean me? Yeah. (laughs) Who has parting words? Um, you know what? If you have a dream, keep going because one day. Ah, okay, Karen. I'm I'm not with you yet. I'm still. Oh, you you're talking to Maria. She asked you. Is it I'm me or her? her for parting words. I haven't got back to you. Oh, you yet. want parting words from Maria? Maria, do you have any part? You have any uh, wisdom to <laughs> to give to people? No. Like, what do you want to do when you grow up? For no, example? don't chew with your mouth open. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I. I'm lost for words. You're. <laughs> That rarely happens. Uh, this was so much fun. Yes. So um, before we before we part, uh, you've all these books that you published. Um, very quickly, you've gone back to Jewish books now. Right. In one sentence, why is that? You started out publishing for the world hundreds of thousands of books, ecumenical topics, whatever that means, <laughs> and now you're doing things about Hanukkah and. Oh, you know, um, so I should go back because remember we were talking about the slush pile and the, and how I met um, the editor at that conference. Yeah, we're running out of time, so you. Have- oh, okay, okay. So, so my other, so fourteen of my books went came through the slush pile or came through editors I met at conferences, um, and actually the only I just recently had, but um, I don't have her anymore. Um, 
my agent sold this book, Happy Birthday Trees, and this book, A Crowded Farmhouse Folktale. Um, so I only had an agent for two of my books so far. So out of 16 books, just 14 of them I did myself. I, I think you, you could be an agent if you wanted to be. Mm, that's just not what I want to be. I know, if you want it. You're so good uh, at all these things, you know. Yeah, but it... Uh, maybe, maybe when Maria grows up, she can be... <laughs> when Maria grows up and I don't have to think about her anymore. Um, no, but it, it's just, it's really hard to break into the children's book world. But it was a little bit easier to break into the Jewish children's book world because... Um, there aren't as many writers trying to get into this Jewish book world as there are getting into the global Jewish book world. And that's why I went back. So Rooster Can Cockadoodle Do, um, when I wrote Farmer Kobe's Hanukkah Match, this was supposed to be a sequel to Rooster Can Cockadoodle Do. But um, my editor had left Dial Books for Young Readers and the new editor... Um, I guess didn't feel as strongly as another sequel for Rooster Can Cockadoodle Do. So 10 years later, I changed it to Farmer Kobe's Hanukkah Match and sent it to Apples and Honey Press. And then it became a book, but it actually was supposed to be the sequel to Rooster Can Cockadoodle Do. It was sitting in a drawer for 10 years before I took it out. So if it doesn't work in a church, you just take it to a synagogue. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it was a little, it's just a little bit more accessible, I think, um, to send to the Jewish market, but the publishers are a lot smaller, but they're, but it's nicer sometimes also because you get to talk to the editors in person. I, I've met my editors from Apples and Honey Press, Dina Neusner and Ankofsky. Um, you know, you don't really sometimes get to meet your editors especially, well, now with COVID, but I'm just saying. I was just thinking it's an idea for a book. What would that be? You don't get to eat your editors. Ah, that's, that is funny. <laughs> Listen, we have, we have to part. Okay. And it's such sweet sorrow. It was just terrific having you on the show. Um, maybe, maybe I should do one with Maria and invite you along. <laughs> okay, you could do that. As a chaperone or something. Yeah, you if she's what? not taking a nap. I'll just invite Maria. You didn't even have to come. Yeah, I don't even have to come. <laughs> this was so incredible. Thank you for having me on your show. Okay, uh, we have one more minute if you want to sing a Beatles song. <laughs> we uh, all live in the yellow one second. I w Maybe Maria will sing us a Beatles song. Uh, she's already taking a nap. You missed it. Uh, wake her, wake her. This is important. It's important. I don't even know if she knows any Beatles songs. She's That's what I'm going to ask her. Maria, you're only five for, for 15 years. But um, I've never asked a dummy what their favorite song is, Beatles um, or otherwise. What's your favorite happy song? Happy birthday. It's happy birthday, her favorite song. Okay, whose birthday is it today? Nobody's. You asked her favorite song. It's happy birthday. It's always somebody's birthday. That's true. Oh, actually, it's Aaron and Ethan's birthday yesterday. Yeah. You can sing a song for them. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Aaron and Ethan. Happy birthday to you. Wow, Maria, did you know that the Beatles also have a happy birthday song? I did not know that. Okay. I so, didn't uh, know that Beatles can sing. <laughs> He's about the bug. He's talking about a group called the Beatles. Oh, oh sorry. No, I, it's, it's fine. I'm like, for the first time on my show, I'm kind of speechless. 
So listen, it was great talk having for you. Karen. Karen could talk for you and help you. Yeah, would Karen like to help me? <laughs> can you ask her if she wants to help me? Uh, you can go to Dawn, the licensed clinical social worker. <laughs> okay, this is too much for me. Uh, Karen and uh, Maria, it was great having you on You've Got Mail. And um, if you want to come on again in a couple of months, uh, just send me a, a letter to my slush pile and I'll continue. Oh, okay. And I'm sure it will get read in your slush pile. Thanks a million. It was great. Bye. I thanks mean, for having us. If, if there's anybody in the world who didn't understand why you are such a talented and successful writer, they sure do now. Aw, thanks. Thanks Bye. a million. Bye.